and welcome to the Sneaky Art Insider podcast. This episode is what I like to call a bonus commentary. It's an opportunity for me to go back into a past episode to revisit some ideas that we discussed and pick up on topics that were perhaps brought up but not discussed at length. I'm happy when I find something in doing this exercise because it's an excuse to go down a new rabbit hole and to learn some new things. So that's essentially what these audio posts are going to be all about. Today's subject is a moment from early in the conversation with Mark Tarot Holmes in episode 23. That was my longest conversation and we talked about many interesting things. But in the first half hour, I learned about Mark's involvement in the early game development industry. So I want to talk today about a couple of games that I've played recently, share their most remarkable features, and leave you with three useful ideas as an artist and visual learner. First, let's consider what a game is really all about. Every game is essentially a world of its own. There are rules and rewards, things you should do and things you cannot do. How vested you are in the game is the degree to which that world becomes real for you. In the moment, you are inside that world. And this has nothing to do with how realistic the game is. It applies to Call of Duty and Super Mario equally. So Mark and I were talking about how in the 90s, every few months, hardware technology was improving in leaps and bounds. And this would lead to a side-by-side rapid improvement in software, including the software to design games. But there were still these very firm limits. And as a gamer, you knew that the game was not realistic because there was only so much that the software and the hardware could do. There was no real expectation that a game would be quote-unquote realistic. The wide gap between reality and graphics was filled by imagination. So every upgrade in hardware in those days caused a boom in new software and new ideas making games more realistic in terms of their physics, the animation, and the overall realism. In the 90s, while video games still had a long way to go, that gap between reality and computer-generated graphics was closing. But why am I talking about these things? Why are we talking about video games in the 90s? It's because today's gaming scene has some interesting parallels with those old games. The gap between reality and graphics has been closing faster and faster every year. But today's gaming scene is particularly remarkable because it is not only about following that linear path. It's not just about the big games which run on big, powerful devices anymore. Today, every smartphone and every tablet is a potential gaming device, which means games can go in all sorts of different directions. Over the past few years, we've gone back from this single-minded pursuit of realism for lots of different practical reasons. Here are a few reasons off the top of my head. Number one, the small screens make detailed renderings not only difficult, but also kind of pointless. Number two, Touchscreen games for people in public spots like on the bus or a train or in the park need to be intuitive and simple, not complex and trying to be realistic. Number three, the potential gaming market now is literally every person with a smart device. But every such person is not necessarily a committed gamer. They don't want to give you hours and days and weeks at a stretch. 
they might prefer something light for a few minutes of distraction during the day. Incentives for game developers have therefore changed, and this opens up opportunities for many more people to get into game production, leading to more ideas, which means more art. So I want to talk to you about a couple of interesting games I've enjoyed recently, and I'm going to talk about them with respect to the art I've found and the lessons I've learned. The first game that I want to speak about has been the top-selling iPad game for a few years now, since it first released in, I think, 2015. It was then rated as the most beautiful game on the iPad and is a strong contender even today. This game is called Monument Valley. Monument Valley is set in a fantastical landscape of impossible geometry and mind-bending architecture. Its design is minimalist but aesthetically pleasing. The gameplay is very simple. Your task is simply to move your character Ida across the screen, navigating the building or the structure, and decoding the optical illusions built into them. So it works in a beautiful loop in that the beauty of the game invites you to appreciate the design, and the way to play the game is to appreciate and look through this design's illusions. The game was inspired by the impossible geometries of the artist M.C. Escher and his mathematician colleague Sir Roger Penrose. I'm including some images of their work below with the text. You might have heard of Sir Roger Penrose with respect to the popular optical illusion called the Penrose Triangle. M.C. Escher worked on an early version of what became the Penrose Triangle to make his famous painting called The Waterfall. As a big fan of M.C. Escher, I was immediately attracted to Monument Valley. I heard a, a, a keynote address given by the game's creator, Ken Wong, where he explains the different principles and the influences in detail. Uh, below my text, I'm including a link to that address as well. Ken Wong explains that this game is not simply about gameplay, but about the aesthetic experience around playing. The visuals are pleasing, the music is calming, and even the noise of the crows which indicate that you can't go any further along this path, is quite pleasant to hear. Nothing is intimidating, nothing is going to eat you up. Enjoy the music and enjoy the colours. The second game I've enjoyed is called Mini Motorways, and it is a similarly beautiful, calming game where you design road networks in fictionalised versions of famous cities around the world. The art is beautiful, the colours are gorgeous, and you use symbols in place of realistic imagery which makes it simple to operate on a smaller device. You see, that gap between reality and graphics is becoming irrelevant now. Once again, it is about your investment in this world and your imagination. Anyway, my goal here is not to get you to buy video games. I took specific lessons from listening to the creator of Monument Valley and from playing both of these games. So here are my top three ideas from playing them. Number one, isometric color schemes. You can see this in the screenshots of the game that I'm sharing. Three colors are used for the three faces of a structure visible to us. These three faces are up, left, and right. The color scheme is not only pleasing to the eye, but also gives you a certain amount of information. Firstly, it tells you which side you're looking at. On top of the base color layer, the creators have added layers of other information. 
there is texture, there are designs which tell you more about the structure itself. And then there is the indication of the light source in terms of where the light falls and where there is shadow. Ken Wong talks about using these literal building blocks as the basis for his game design and architecture. And I thought about how useful it is to think this way about the art that we make. Can we use this kind of idea to strip down the world that we observe? Can we see it in just the base layers and separate that from the effects of texture and design and shadows? Can we notice when the texture comes on top of the base layer but maybe underneath the shadows? I'm trying to go back to working with watercolors these days and it's been an exercise for me to try to unpack the world as I see it in terms of the colors that I see. For someone that doesn't understand colors very well, screenshots from both Monument Valley and Mini Motorways have already worked as excellent references. Number two, minimalism. I really like the idea that we can make something beautiful and richly detailed just by steadily adding simple elements one on top of another. Complex results don't need to come from complex thoughts. Just by the simple accumulation of the same idea, we can arrive at a complex and detailed finish. And everything itself does not need equal levels of finishing. So in a minimalist sort of art environment, I observe the symbols used for things that are supposed to indicate what they are, but are not supposed to draw your attention. For example, in both of these games, the symbols and the art used to describe trees and water bodies. Notice how they fit one another. Whether or not you use minimalism as an artist depends on kind of what you're trying to do here. What is the point of your art? Are you trying to communicate something or are you trying to resemble reality as, as closely as you can? If this latter goal is not as important to you, Games with minimalist designs have a lot of excellent ideas to pick up. Number three is my biggest takeaway, and this is with respect to the work of MC Escher in and what I saw in Monument Valley. So I used to see the work of MC Escher and optical illusions like the Penrose Triangle simply as they were. But Monument Valley laid out a practical way for them to be implemented in art. And it made me think, can I draw an impossible geometry from real-life observations? What would it be like to walk a city and to see my world in this way? Could I draw in a way that I could show the world in this way to someone else? I tried it a couple of times last year, and I'm including one of my drawings below this text, which didn't quite hit the spot, but I thought it was a good start. Speaking of Escher, I wrote about some of his works and his ideas in the first two issues of my newsletter way back in August last year. I'll link them at the bottom of this post. Escher fascinates me because he illustrated mathematical concepts without being a mathematician himself in amazing and beautiful ways. His visualizations of concepts like fractal geometry and infinity have inspired countless mathematicians as well as artists. I have a lot more to say about him, and I think maybe I'll keep that for another one of these episodes in the future. 
in closing uh, i'd like to ask for your feedback about this post this is a new format for me and i'd love to hear if it works for you also um my question to you is have you taken ideas for art from unconventional sources what were they and how did they help you leave me your answer in the form of a comment in the comment section below and maybe we can start a conversation thank you very much for listening and i'll see you soon with another one of these episodes